Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is Jamie Gitgood. And here's a bit about Jamie. He's an awarded Australian leader of the year at the Australian Excellent Awards. Jamie Gitgood travels the globe as an international keynote speaker to share his career hallmark achievements and one of the world's most effective and transformational culture initiatives, the General Motors Tolden transition. He comes from General Motors, and whenever the manufacturer closed in its Australia operations in 2017, he took on the leadership in the closure of the industry, oscillating the focus around culture, people leadership, change management, and employee engagement principles. He also does other things besides people-focused leadership, but today we're going to learn more about why people-focused leadership is centered around his desires and how he wants to make sure he implements that as well as see the change. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Jamie so he could share more about what he does and et cetera. Hi, Genesis. How are you? I am doing well, Jamie. How are you? Very good. I'm very good. And this is an exciting topic for me. So, Jamie, before we get into our topic of people-focused leadership, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers a little bit more about yourself in your words, because we all know that a bio is a bio, and you can't put everything that you do in a bio due to character limitations. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes those bios sound like this amazing Hollywood highlight reel when we we live a real life. But look, a little bit about me. Um, I have been in the human resources world for just over 20 years now. I'm really showing my age, but really happy that I've had a, a career that's had some very unique aspects to it. So I actually started my career as a fitter and turner, a mechanical engineering tradesperson, and not your average start for a HR person, but I won some awards as a tradesperson and the company I was in, for whatever reason, thought I'd be a great people person and offered me an opportunity to get into HR and I grabbed it. So that was a little unique. And through my career, I've done some very intriguing projects. So I got involved in a a couple of industrial relations matters in my first HR role, which um, became so significant, the topic we were arguing, that it actually made a difference to the legislation in our country in Australia. Um, That then led to me getting headhunted for another role to set up a greenfields facility. So I had a great chance to set up a a high-tech, world-class robotic manufacturing facility. Um, Did that for a couple of years and then got headhunted again to to get involved in the business. It did all mergers and acquisitions and, you know, trying to get multiple cultures to gel and we had great success. Um, And then I finally got headhunted to General Motors and took on the director's role there. And I think I already had a people-focused approach to who I was in human resources. Um, and I can explain where that came from in a moment. But what I, re- I really saw the fruits of what people-focused leadership can do at General Motors. And, you know, we can talk more about this, but we turned uh, what was a, an underperforming bottom quartile manufacturing facility into one of the best car plants in the world in 
probably less than 18 months, two years. And that was all to do with the way we led, the way we changed culture and that, and that real people-focused approach. So my background's had a very colourful HR career, um, but I wouldn't change it for the world because I've, I've had some really telling moments that's made me who I am as a people-focused leader. I love that you shared that your background had some really colorful moments because having a linear path is is boring to some, but it's exciting to others. But having those zigzags and going through this roller coaster ride that I like to call life, the ups and downs, the upsides, the turns, the roundabouts, it makes you more versatile. It makes you adaptable. And it also makes you well-rounded because sometimes the roles that we want, we necessarily don't get because when we're working for an organization, they love us, they love they love us enough to give us these stretch opportunities, which are roles that we didn't ask for, but they already see the potential in us. So they put us in that role so we could expand our expertise, broaden our focus and reverse engineer it. And then once we successfully complete that role, then we get slotted into the role that we truly wanted. And so when you said that an opportunity came for HR and you grabbed it, because it wasn't something that you were buying for, it was just something that sought after you. And then you took that opportunity and ran with it and then had 20 years plus experience in the industry. Then people just started headhunting you because you knew what the role was, you grew in the role and you made it your baby. So whenever... (laughs) So when you think about people-focused leadership, do you feel like whenever you started off early in your career that somebody saw you you a different in a different light than you saw yourself? 100%. Um, interesting, the guy that offered me my opportunity in HR was the director of HR at another large manufacturing group, and it was called Electrolux. You've probably heard of the brand before. Um, we, most people not as the vacuum cleaner company, but they do a lot more than that. Um, his background was he was an ex-priest. So it was an incredible start to my HR world because he saw something in me and he was very people-focused to the sense that he, when he brought me in, he said, Jamie, I'm, you can be by my side for your first 12 months in this HR opportunity. So I literally sat by his side and watched how he interacted and he'd teach me things about people going in and we, we had disciplinary matters and he'd be going, you know, we've got two people fighting in the factory, Jamie. Um, why would they do that? And he, he actually explored with me the people side of why people do things. And I think that's an art that sometimes in the human resources world we've lost. We, we go in and think of it as a disciplinary matter or a project and we actually don't sit back and go, I wonder what drove these people to do what they do. And that was really instilled in me early in my HR career to go, people don't want to do bad things in their work. They, they often are put in situations and maybe it could be a, a bullying circumstance. Maybe they've got personal matters at home, but there's normally something that triggers a bad response. If we can get to that people side and look deeper than just the situation, guess what? you're going to be a better HR person, Jamie. Uh, So I learned so much in my first few years of HR to go look past the situation and look at the people. And I think I've had a really successful, colourful, but successful career um, 
because of that lens. Wow. And I'm so glad that, you know, that was your first opportunity with a director of manufacturing who also had a background in being a priest, because I think that you had a double-edged sword there because you had someone that was passionate about his religion, but you also had someone that was passionate just about the work that he does as well, which gave you a foundation that you needed. And then from that foundation, you built it up, up until where you turned, um, the underperforming manufacturing at General Motors, who was in the bottom quartile, and it was fourth quarter, right? Yeah, yeah. So we took we it, from bottom quartile to top quartile in in eighteen months. How did you do that? <laughs> so look, that that was not an easy feat. Um, when I joined the organization, there was a very, I'll call it a very aggressive command and control style leadership. Um, and that's probably fairly typical for a manufacturing environment. But, but I had worked my whole career in manufacturing and I had seen that it didn't have to be that way. And, and I also saw that it wasn't necessarily the leader's fault either. Again, taking that people lens, some of these guys were really good engineers and they had been promoted because they were good engineers or they were good widget makers. Um, and we hadn't given them the right training or, or we had, but you know what, training doesn't do everything. Sometimes you actually got to walk with people and, and give them those relational tips that they need. So we actually made a, a strong stand at that point and there was a, a catalyst that created that and, and I had a, a senior leader abuse me in my first week um, and I took it straight to the top and said, "That's not that behaviour is not right. If we want to change this, we have to make some drastic change. Uh, and to our executive director of manufacturing's credit, he actually said, you're absolutely right. I'm drawing a line in the sand as of today. What do we have to do? And we worked together and we did everything from, we retrained our leaders in, in not just leadership, but people and behavior and, and trying to get them to understand even little things like body language, that the importance of a smile that releases oxytocin to your brain. Um, and it releases oxytocin to someone else's brain when you smile because they smile back. Um, the power of a handshake and the, the, why it's important to say hello to people at work. And it was some of these really basic human relational elements that we trained our, pe our people in at that point in time. We, I, put, <laughs> I asked all of our leaders to put, block out 30 minutes a day out of their calendar. And that was a mandatory thing they had to do. And it was not to talk about work. It was purely to just spend 30 minutes a day talking to your teams. Just that's it. Just go and find out their favorite food and their wife's name and what football team they like. I like that because then you're putting the personal touch to it where it's not just about work, 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 but you're actually getting to know the individuals that work with you and building a rapport with them where they see you as a human being. They also see you as being empathetic, having compassion, and actually you start to chip off pieces of the iceberg because no longer may that employee be thinking, I'm just a number to the corporation, but they may feel value. They may feel like 
part of the team and family. And I've been in work situations where I felt like I really thrived in a space where it felt like we were family because you spend the majority of your day at work. So if you don't like what you're doing and you don't like the people that you are surrounded with for most of your day, you're not going to have that optimal outcome. But if you really start to connect with the people that you're working with, and not just on a deep, deep personal level, but you connect with them enough to see what your common interests are and how you guys could share that, then you're definitely going to push the needle forward than if you did not connect with that individual and you just have this robotic process. Look, it's so true. And, and to give you an example, Google did a huge project to, to try and work out team success, and that was called Project Aristotle. And they did all this research around the world with all their leaders. And the number one correlate to a team's success was psychological safety. And to, once you've got psychological safety, think about it. If, if you've got a team willing to be transparent and, and feel safe enough to, to share things and their dreams and their aspirations and how they align with the values, and, 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 and I'm getting deep here, how they align with the company's values and their own values, all of a sudden, it's not just work, it's passion. It's where this, it's, it's like the light bulb moment I found in my career going, wow, uh-huh. if we can bring people on this journey, guess what? They're going to have passion in their job. And even if they are a cleaner, a payroll person or a leader, they're going to bring their best. So if, for me, it was like a light bulb moment going, why aren't people doing this? Why are we so strict on process and systems? And don't get me wrong, they have to be there we forget about people and if we can inspire people in grade engage them and let them dream about what they want from their current role but their future role uh, we had we had a lady at a manufacturing facility he was actually an accountant actually sorry um he he really wanted to do, get into manufacturing but he was an accountant going i've got no chance so we had our sessions and we talked and realized that he had dreams to do manufacturing and do this and we went, you know what? Let's make that dream happen. And we gave him an opportunity. It was a test run to go and work as a supervising manufacturing facility. And guess what? He loved it and he crushed it. You know, we gave him some coaching and guiding, but that then stemmed a whole heap of other people going, wow, you listen to my dreams. And, and whilst it may not always align and we've got to work through that, it, it was a game changer. Wow. And then Jamie, I I love all the stories that you're sharing because they definitely connect the dots and they make it real. Whenever you think about people-focused leadership and you think about D-E-N-I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but let's not forget about equality because equality has to be in the mix too. How do you um, help senior level executives, managers really incorporate DE&I, not just to check the box, but to really have it seen as well as heard all throughout the organization. Because I feel like sometimes organizations just look at DE&I by meeting certain status quos, like we're going to hire X amount of representation to show our shareholders and that we're diverse, we're equitable, we're inclusive, or we believe equality. But then whenever you hire those individuals, if they're not being promoted as fast enough as a person who is, you know, maybe non, non-melanated, 
um, non-Asian, non-Latino, Latinx, or whatever, then it's not really equitable there. And they really don't have the equality as in comparison to somebody else, if that makes sense. And feel free to reword the question so that way the listeners and viewers could connect the dots there. Look, I think it's a very important topic. And I just want to throw a couple of other thoughts out there because I like to try and think about this a little differently. Um, the world is trying to push certain status points and, and trying to be set targets about this point. I struggle with that a little bit because I think we should be finding the right person who fits the category, regardless of race or sex or, 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 or sexual status. Um, now, in saying that, we need help in this space because there is bias. And there, there is issues in the world. Um, so, you know, what, one of the things we did when we were at Gender Mose, we did a lot of training in this space. And Gender Mose were incredible at this, to be honest. Um, we did a lot of training around things like unconscious bias and, and trying to get people to understand, you know, the, the little, you know, things that you may have picked up in your life that may have led to a bias in certain ways. Um, but also trying to get people to understand that, um, just setting a target doesn't fix it either. You actually have to put programs in place to allow everyone to have a quality and everyone to have an opportunity. But it can go too far. And I have seen, not in my organisation, but I have seen an organisation that I was trying to support that had set fairly extreme targets and were really pushing a gender opportunity, for example. And what they found was they were really aggressive saying, we're only going to hire women for these roles. Um, so men, go away. Pretty much that's what they were saying. And what they found was they created this whole new equality issue internally. The women started kicking up going, hang on, I want to be promoted because of who I am and my skill sets, not because of a number. So it actually created an inequality trying to create equality if that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense because then they're not leveling the playing field and there's not a balance because then some people may feel like, oh, I'm only getting promoted because I'm black or African-American. I'm only getting promoted because I'm a woman. I'm only getting promoted because I'm that Hispanic person or Latino, Latina, or and you get the picture when in, when in actuality, they want to be promoted because they're actually the best candidate for the position. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's this really fine balance that we have to find in our organizations where we're hiring the best people regardless of any factor that they may have, but also being mindful that we shouldn't look at a factor to be a determining factor when you're, when you're hiring or, or inspiring or, or whatever that may be. So it is this really fine balance that we have to have a laser light focus to make sure we are absolutely looking at DE and I without going too far the other way. And it's a precious balance. Um, we also have to look at our history. And, and sometimes you can go through many organisations, especially in countries like Australia and America, where, you know, at the, at the, the history is, is it's the, the middle-aged white guys at the top of the chain, right? Let's be real. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, and, and there true. may have been reasons for that, but... We have to look broader than that and go, you know what, um, let's, throw, let's make sure that when we recruit, we are considering DEI practices um, and getting some diversity. 
I like the fact that you said, look at the history, because then that paints a bigger picture and you have a holistic view of why the company has been operating a certain way. And then you understand the root of it, because if you could get to the root and the core, then you're able to really start doing that groundwork in order to evolve. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I spent 12 years in oil and gas and energy, which are, you know, the good old boys club that some people say um, the white guys at the top or etc. And then whenever you start to look at the board of directors, the external stakeholders and etc. If you don't see representation of someone that looks like you, then you begin to retreat because you're like, I'm doing all this work, but I'm never going to get to the level that I aspire to be at. Because historically speaking, there has never been anyone that looks like me or close enough in that position. So then that also creates, you know, some form of tension, unconscious biases and et cetera. But then the organization is talking about change. But if you're talking about change, but you're not really taking those actions to really implement that change, to drive that imprint, to make an impact, then I just feel like all you're doing is wasting your breath. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we absolutely need to look at, well, what are we doing to change this and, and what can we do? And, and again, if we use the word change, we can sometimes go too far the other way and, and we've just got to find balance. I, I like the word balance because it is a healthy balance between all areas. Um, and, and again, I got to say, I learned a lot from General Motors and, and I, you know, I'm not trying to you know, get a free car from General Motors or anything here, but, but they were very good at inspiring all levels of diversity. And, you know, I, I was talking to a good friend of mine um, who, who actually received a lifetime leadership award from General Motors. And he's, in, you know, he went through his whole career dealing with race and, and everything else. And General Motors completely changed that environment. And um, I, I was really impressed to hear some of the stories that, you know, General Motors went through to change diversity and equality in their business. And um, I know the training I received and, and we were giving our leads was, was inspiring. And we were all, always looking at how we can, you know, be equal in all areas. Um, so again, it's, it's again, you live off those lifelong experiences and you learn from it. And, you know, I'm grateful for that um, and what I learned at General Motors. And where you are now, Jamie, in your career, since you're no longer at General Motors and you've, you've already went through several um, HR roles, have you thought about consulting uh, with General Motors here in the U.S. and just going in to look at their programs that they have now based on the information that you acquired when you were back in Australia working for General Motors in manufacturing? And then the second part of the question is where you are currently in your career. Explain to the listeners and viewers what that looks like. Yes. So look, have I thought about going back to General Motors? Um, look, I've got some incredible friends that are here in, you know, in America, in Detroit, um, that I have known for many years at General Motors. Um, I haven't thought about actually going and getting work in there um, and, and thinking about how we could, you know, continue to improve things. But what I do love is some of my mentors in the General Motors world are there doing those changes. Um, so I know General Motors are in a very good place because they've got some great leaders in there. So um, I, I guess I feel less need to, to attack a General Motors because 
of some of the people I know who are doing that already. Um, however, in saying that, I'm now in a completely different role. I've taken on a chief people officer role for a company called Staffing Venture Capital. Um, and whilst my role is a titled chief people officer, it sounds very internal. And I'm here to take care of HR within a business. Um, the CEO has such a heart for actually sharing our knowledge. And he sort of said to me, Jamie, I don't mind if you go across America and help CHROs and CEOs and add value to how they lead and how they do stuff because we don't want to be a company that just do staffing and, and bring great people into your organization. We want to add value to your organization. So I have this really unique role and I'm really excited about it now where, uh, yes, I'm a chief people officer, but I'm, I, I feel like I'm a chief people officer of all of our clients as well because we want to add value to them. Mm, I like that. And I like the fact that you said, um, going back to what you said prior to you saying that you're a chief people officer with staffing venture capital, but I like the fact that you acknowledge that some of your mentors are now with General Man um, General Motors and they're making those change and you're seeing those initiatives. And you said, no, I don't want to go back because I know they're in good hands. And the reason why I asked that was because if you pair your experience from General General Motors and you take your experience from what you have now and you merge them to to the point where you consult it for them like you set your own rate or etc or you take staffing venture capital and you allow that company to staff for General Motors and you could kind of see the the gap there kind of closed because you have so much knowledge and expertise and that's why I was asking that question because I wanted you to dig deep there and pull that out yeah yeah and go ahead JB oh look I I, I was just sitting there reflecting and uh, I can give an example when I was at General Motors so so we traditionally were a manufacturing facility and it was very male uh, dominated young males was all we hired in the past um, if I go back to say 2010, um, we were bringing in a brand new product into Australia to, to build cars. Uh, it's called the Holden Cruise. And we really had to go, let's relook at our hiring practices. And I got to say, we then brought in something like 500 people and the mix completely shook the whole business. We had various races and religions and we had you know, a huge volume of women coming to the organization. It was, I, I loved that recruitment practice. And, and that was what I saw happening in our world. We were, we were actually making a difference with our recruitment practices. And that was a big contributor to our cultural change as well uh, for the positive. And um, so I guess I've seen General Motors already doing that um, and had some firsthand experience and hence why I said they're in good hands. Oh, okay. Thank you for putting the context there because you were already ahead of the curve. And Jamie, as we wind down, I want you to leave the viewers with one or two gems and then close us out with letting them know once again who you are, how they could connect with you on social media. Yes. Right, how about I give you two gems, two quotes as my gems? Oh, yeah, right. that's fine. The, the first quote is by you know Theodore Roosevelt which is comparison is the thief of joy. And I love that quote because whether we're talking about um, how another company is doing DEI, whether it be about how me as an individual compares to another colleague, um, 
comparison is a really dangerous attribute where we can look at other people and go, maybe I don't fit the bill. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not, I don't have value. And I think if we look past comparison and go, no, I was gifted to be who I am and see the amazing gifts and values and traits that we have as an individual, um, you don't need to compare. You're a unique individual that can change the world in your own right. Um, and you're loved and you're valued. And I think that's a, one of my gems, that if we can help the whole world see themselves as this incredible human being, I think you'll find depression would be minimized. I think you'll find suicide rates will be minimized. I think people wouldn't compare and create all these dramas that we see in the world today. Uh, I think comparison, and, and I think social media has a big part to play in this. We look at everyone's you know, filtered shots and see what an amazing life they have and then we compare and then we we devalue ourselves, which impacts our family, which impacts our work, which impacts everything. So if we all see ourselves as amazing human beings and we're all valued, that alone, that mindset shift will change the world. The second one is one of my favorite authors, uh, Maya Angelou. Um, and this is really where I think people focus leadership comes from. Um, and, and here it is. People won't always remember what you say. They won't always remember what you do, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And if you're a leader and you remember this quote, you will actually go, wow, I can make subtle changes to the way I lead, help people see how my leadership is making them feel. All of a sudden, they're going to be inspired. They're going to be engaged. They're going to understand their place in the organization and how they fit the values and the direction of the company. They'll understand how their values are leading to their own career. Um, and that can be just a little mindset shift for a leader, that one little quote. So there's my gems. Um, how do you find me? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Gets Good. That really is my last name. You could, there's only one Jamie Get Good, I think, on LinkedIn. May, if there is a, a second, it, he's got another unique name. Um, so I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, hook me up there. Send me a direct message. Otherwise, you can look at our business, staffingvc.com. Um, and we do uh, not just staffing venture capital, which is what the term says, but we also do staffing and recruitment right across America. So that's who we are. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS with Genesis Amaris Camp. You just heard Jamie Get Good, and we talked about people-focused leadership, and he gave us two amazing quotes. Comparison is the Thief of Joy by Theodore Roosevelt and Maya Angelou. People won't always remember what you did or dot, 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 but they will remember how you made them feel. All of his information will be in the show notes. So make sure you connect with Jamie and follow him along on his journey. He spent 20 years in human resources. So that tells you that he is well-versed and he's still going, still learning, still refining. And I wanna encourage you all that you are a masterpiece you were created for purpose. You are here on purpose. So don't ever let somebody dim your light because they can't stand to see you shine. Let your light illuminate and knock out darkness. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Signing out.
Genesis Amaris Kemp, and Jamie, Jamie Get Good. Get good. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>